0: Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Just Shiatsu podcast. As always, I am your host, Justin Zielinski. And today I wanted to talk about how touch heals through the Zen Shiatsu model and Chinese medicine. I don't feel like this has really ever been explored or talked about in such a definitive way as I am trying to talk about it here. We all know that touch heals, and I've seen it in my own practice. I know people who have experienced it. But like, there's never been a great explanation as to how in the Chinese medicine reference this is happening, right? With needles, there's kind of like these definitive ideas around you know, draining and supplementing the system to remove pathogenic factors. Well, the fingers don't exactly work the same way as the needles. And the model that Masunaga created in Zen also doesn't quite reflect the same approach you would take when you're looking at like pulses and the, and the TCM approach of you know diagnostic and pathogenic factors and removing those factors from the system. Instead, the, the mechanism or the trigger relies on the same pathological ideas, but is approached from a different angle. And I just wanted to talk about my thoughts and ideas on how that's happening, right? Again, it should be clear as always that this is, you know, my podcast and I'm giving you my thoughts and ideas through my personal studies and interpretations of the things I'm reading and coming across. By no way is this definitive to Justin said it works this way. So that's the only way it could possibly be. No, but I have spent many years studying and trying to understand this stuff. So I wouldn't just throw my thoughts and ideas out the window there's something worth thinking about and, uh, and understanding in there for sure so i wanted to start with you know to first understand how healing happens we first need to understand how do we get you know our the movements or the health inside the body disrupted so there really comes down to two factors that are really determinant with what causes us to become unhealthy one is something from the outside world enters our body in some regards you could think of this as germ or or viral theory right and in chinese medicine there's a couple other factors they talk about like just the weather inclements are really factors that kind of disrupt the movements in our body if we're not reacting to them correctly and the second thing that causes disruption in the body is our perceptions or our stories And I am going to argue, especially in today's world, like in the classical approaches to the medicine, you know, 2000 years ago, I'm pretty sure the ability to escape the environmental conditions was not as easily accessible as it is today, right? Today we live in environmentally controlled buildings or houses where if it's too hot, we can get away from the heat. If it's too cold, we can get away from the cold for most of us, at least. And the other factor that the environment brings into health is if we're having a bad season you know the growth of food is affected but considering we live in almost a world sort of distribution service nowadays right food is easily accessible you know even if a certain section of like a country per se is having trouble a drought or something the production of food is still being made other places and we have the ability to distribute that amongst us so again You know, there could be some instances where that actually does affect the food supply. But in general, those are another area that's not too much affected by the environment due to our ability to transport and um, support each other over long distances. So that leads me back to perception, right? And I, if you've listened to some of my other podcasts, I'm big into the spirit, which is our perception, the emotions as being a driving factor to to creating internal um, movements that, that weaken our system. And of course when I've 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 done a podcast just on like what is healing and I argued that maybe it's just the stories we tell ourselves which is again is our perceptions of the world around us. So it doesn't mean that the environment doesn't play a factor into this. Someone might spend a long time in the cold and then generate, you know, a weakness in the body that then allows something to move into the body which then creates a pathological, you know, sign or symptom to happen, you know, so they become unhealthy. I'm going to argue that the exposure up to this length that has caused the disease was an actual drive or perception of themselves that needed to be done. So it wasn't necessarily that they couldn't get away from it. It was they chose not to because of some perception they have or story they tell themselves about what they mean or what they should be doing or what they ought to be doing in life to bring value. So again, it comes down to the stories. So how do we measure what a proper movement in the body is? In Chinese medicine, again, this comes down to time. Um, I think I've done a podcast on Chinese medicine as, you know, the medicine of time. And again, it's moving properly with the proper season and time. So again, we get spring or morning, which is when our energy starts to come out from being stored overnight or through the winter. So then we can start to be more active. So this is when we wake up in the morning, we start to move a little more. Then we get to midday where we should be fully expressing ourselves. This is the time when it's most appropriate to expend our energy to the fullest until we just kind of start to run out of that motivating force or that expansive energy. Then we move into autumn or evening. Again, another time where we've expended all our energy. Now we need to settle in and relax. This is probably the one area in our culture where we tend to not follow this advice and we get done doing the work that we don't want to do. So we come home and do the things we want to do and we overexpend our energy. This is where a lot of that drive and personal story comes into creating some disruptive movements in the way we move through life. And then lastly is winter or nighttime. This is when we're sleeping. This is when Everything is starting to get rebuilt and stored inward. You know, all the food we ate in the evening to help replenish what we've exhausted through the day is now becoming potential energy for our body to use and build the structures or things that need to be attended to during sleep. So when we move outside of those kind of general guidelines of movement, we can create disorder or weaknesses in the body. And then this allows things to come in either to our perception, which our perception actually influences the way things move internally, and then it can create disruptions in the body's physiological processes, or we create a weakness and it allows something to come in externally. And again, I always find this an interesting idea because I have observed many times in my life where, you know, cold and flu season comes around and there's those people who kind of always get a cold and flu and there's people who never get a cold and flu and it probably relates a little to this idea of they have no weaknesses in their body and the other person has weaknesses, right? It's just a thing to think about that you'll see in life as you move through it. So now let's move on to the physiological setup of the body in a, in a more simplistic way, right? So if we get a weakness in the body and something happens to come into that disrupted area, the system is set up to handle that or try to get rid of it as best it can. So we'll start from the exterior and move inward. So essentially anything that comes into the body from the outside has to first enter through the pores of the body. So this idea that those are the spaces that things are allowed to move into the body through. From there, it then moves into the superficial layer of the skin, which then can then make its way into the superficial vessels of the body. And this can be divided at almost into two layers. So you can get like the blood flow of the capillaries or you could get the sinew layers of the body. These kind of equate close to the same thing to me, but no, they are different. From there, it goes into what is usually called like the low system. Again, it's just another superficial layer of vessels that chi and blood are allowed to flow out to the surface and back to the channel. Um, they originate from the channel and move out to the surface and then from the surface back to the channel. These also can be places where we can start to hold pathogenic factors that come into the body. So if, if something becomes a threat and the body has the resources, it can actually kind of stunt its movement inward at this spot. So sometimes we'll just get issues in this low system of the body before they move deeper into the body. And this is just a defense mechanism of the body to try and isolate anything that might be a threat to it. And if these aren't removed over time, they can become more chronic and serious issues if they stay stagnant there for a while. Next, we get the channel system, so it can move deeper into the channel system, which is a very highly effective channel of motion that allows things to move from the center out or from the exterior interior more quickly than it can through any of the other channel systems. From there, there's another system that's set up to help divert anything that might be a threat, which we talked about in the last podcast, which is this divergent channel system. And then there is another system which I haven't given much study to because it's a very complex and very confusing systems that are are described throughout the the thousands of years of the medicine. But that is the Extraordinary Channels. And maybe one day I, I will get to a deep study of those and maybe share some of those ideas with you as well. So once something works its way into the system, obviously the system is set up to try and hold that thing in place if it's slowly working its way deeper into the system. So we get all these systems set up that like either the channel blocks itself, we store it in the low system, we store it in the divergent system, it stays in the sinew channels. But as long as the body has this weakness, it can never let that pathogenic factor go. And this would be things that we would describe as chronic or issues that just don't ever seem to go away. right? And there's an interesting thing to think about here. This is kind of a side note, but I I was listening to a book on quantum healing and it was interesting because if you didn't know, the body's cells always, I guess uh, over time, all the cells in the body will be replaced. But what's interesting is when those cells get replaced, you think, oh, it's a new cell, it'll function perfectly, it'll go right back to a healthy state. Well, during the time frame that it takes some of these cells to fully replace all themselves, the issues still remain. So the cell is actually being reborn anew, but with the same deficiency it had when it was the other cell. And I just find that interesting. So I think that gives a little more credence to this idea of chi and this organizing factor in the body that even though the cell's there, there's still some sort of message moving through the body in that area saying like this still hasn't been resolved even though we have new brand new material here that should be functioning normally it doesn't actually go back to normal i just think that's something interesting to think about you know i thought it would be nice to share and with that thought we can see that there still needs to be some sense of organization in the body some resources that that cell maybe needs more of to function properly and it's still not getting it though even though it's been replaced so it wasn't the cell that's deficient, it's the things getting to the cell that are deficient. And in Chinese medicine, we call the things that move around the body to promote health, qi, blood, and essence, right? All those, those are the three basic instances of, of movement in the body that promote health. And then we can see the system is set up also to, as things move in, it's trying to push things out. So we got two channel systems. We have an interior and an exterior channel system, right? One of the channel systems is about letting things store into the yin organs or the organs that actually provide all the organized structure of the body and then to the yang organs which are the organs that are pretty much of the digestive system so they're allowing us to absorb things from the outside world to become us and then move into these yin organs but they also allow the expelling of things so you know through digestion we can you know release stool which if there was a pathogenic factor in the body and the body's healthy enough to move it out, it has the option to either push it out through the skin or it has the option to push it out through, the, through these young organs into stool or urine. And sometimes it may even come out as vomit, sweat, right? Something that is showing a movement outward of something that may have been stuck inside. So again, we see life in this system as an expression of expansion or contraction. So we can see again, this idea of proper timing proper movement in this idea of that there has to be a proper spacing and that proper spacing allows the proper movement of fluids through the areas of the body that they go to so all of this touch medicine is about creating proper spacing it's not always about creating a relaxed feeling because there can be too relaxed so you're trying to find what what I would call the Goldilocks of the channel system. You want it not too expanded, not too contracted, but you want to find that medium point where the, the channel system is most optimal or most most efficient. So again, in the most simplistic form of what the medicine is, it's providing the proper, proper space of the body so that it can have the proper movement that provides health. So for the body to release anything that it has stored, it does require the proper resources. And the storage of this, the containment of this pathogenic factor does burn resources as well. So we need to be able to restore the system to the point that it has the proper resources before we allow the body to actually open up and allow this pathogenic factor back into the body. And this is why sometimes a treatment protocol or a treatment plan may take time. It takes time to rebuild the resources when they're lacking. But once we can build the resources, we can allow the body to open these stored pathogenic factors so they can be expelled out of the body. There's no weaknesses for these pathogenic factors to sit in the body anymore. So they have no choice but to move out of the body. And again, either through the pores or through the yang organs. So this is where I want to make some distinctions between Zen Shiatsu and maybe, say, acupuncture. And again... As I've said many times before, I'm only speaking to some of the classical descriptions of acupuncture. As I've been doing very intense studies in the Neijing, so I can see how they're using needles in the very old classical styles of acupuncture. But I can't speak to the classic or the the modern views of maybe TCM or something like that. But in those ideas of using the needles in the classical, it's a lot about finding where that pathogenic factor is in the body and creating a hole with the needle to allow it to leave. We can't do that with fingers. So we need a slightly different model that still works with the same physiological processes that I've described. So we diagnose from the hara. And this is a Japanese concept. So this is more from the the traditional Japanese medicine that is derived from the, the Chinese methods. And in Japanese culture, the hara is the center of the self. So we get this idea of it's the center of our gravity, it's the center of our mass, right? And if it's the center of our gravity and the center of our mass, it must be also the center of ourselves. So this is the spiritual center, the emotional center. Right? So it makes sense from that perspective that if we are diagnosing from this area, we are diagnosing what it means to be that person and how they're expressing themselves in life. And this is what the Zen Shiatsu style has. It has its own method of diagnosing that is specific to it. So it has a separate Hara map that is exclusive to the Zen Shiatsu model. And it seems to be highly effective. So I have had no drive to work through other methods or look at, I've looked at other Hara maps and stuff like that, but nothing seems to match Nothing seems to match the effectiveness that Masunaga came up with working with this style of, or this approach to the medicine. So what are we diagnosing when we diagnose in the center? Well, first off, we're diagnosing areas that seem to be lacking movement and areas that seem to be overworking. So in a way, we're looking at balancing those two ideas, right? If something's lacking movement, and then something has extra movement, if we can get that extra movement to move into the area that's lacking, we now have a harmonious balanced movement in the body. And this is what we're looking for, right? If we can get a harmonious balanced movement in the body, it means all the resources are correctly balanced in the body. There will be no place for anything to rest. And then the body can then let go of all the pathogenic factors that are, that are, that are being held in place so that they can then be removed. The one thing to really understand though is what we're diagnosing is the motion of the person's life. This could be physical and sometimes maybe it's all physical, but it also embraces the emotional side of life, the spiritual side of life, the mental side of life, right? All these are part of that diagnosis process. So what we're really diagnosing is the way someone's moving through life. And what we're trying to do is balance that way they're viewing the world into a more harmonious way. And sometimes these can be solved just by the simple act of balancing qi and blood. Right? That's how we communicate to the spirits is by moving qi and blood. They then can receive that message that we're trying to to convey to the body and make a decision about it. I can never force anyone to change their perspectives in life. In fact, some people will actually, you'll create a counter movement by trying to force them to do something, right? And that's normal. We usually protect ourselves from things that seem threatening. So sometimes the process is a process of self-actualization, right? You come, you get some work, you feel different in life. You feel different after the treatment, different than maybe you ever have in life. And it's time to reflect on why is that different? So part of the process of getting a treatment is reflecting on how you feel different. Why do you feel different? Sometimes, when does that difference disappear? What happened in life? You know, And part of it is educating people on the proper movements they need to have in life. And then part of it is self-observation of them realizing that it's their perceptions and movements through life that are causing the disruption. And without changing those, you really will never achieve that harmonious balance in the body that won't allow disease to happen and i wish from the hard diagnosis i could just understand what that was and give clear direction to somebody but i am feeling the movements of your perception but i do not know what that perception is so this is still a work that requires the person receiving to really reflect inward and be with themselves if it's a simple blockage from like an external thing. Sometimes we can just clear the blockage and it doesn't really require any self-actualization or self-realization. But there still was a reason why that weakness happened in the first place. So I'm willing to bet there might be something worth reflecting on or changing. And then lastly, I just want to add in a little factor that I've noticed in my own work. So you come receive a treatment. You start to feel a little different than maybe you ever have before. And you start to reflect on why that is. Maybe you start to notice things in life you never noticed before. Or maybe you notice nothing. Which means maybe we still need to keep working to try and figure out what that is. But, so you come get a treatment. Things feel different. And you go to sleep. So to me, this is where the real healing happens in the art of shiatsu. Right? I've given all these ideas and thoughts and movements to the body, which then they have felt and had some time to think about and ruminate on. And when you go to sleep, that's when the body gets to decide if they want to permanently make these changes. Right? It is in sleep when we restore and rebuild our bodies, ourselves. And this is why when the day after a treatment, you may feel better than you did the day you received the treatment. This is a sign of a change that is starting to manifest in the body. And this is also why I think there needs to be some time between treatments. You know, there's a lot of references in the old classics, you know, wait two days, wait three days. And those all sound fantastic. And I would love to be able to treat someone every two days or every three days. But in this go, go, go world we live in, it's not always practical. And. More than likely, it's going to be a weekly sort of treatment. So this makes the process even longer than maybe it might say it would take in the, in the classical writings. Right, something that may take a week in the classical writings may take a few months when we can't get in on a regular treatment basis, right? We can't remind the system over and over and over again to keep it consistent. Instead, we remind the system, it holds onto it for a couple of days, then it reverts back to the old ways because that's the ways it knows. And then we come back and we remind the system again next week and hopefully it holds on to that change a little bit longer. Then you come back the next week and maybe it doesn't hold on to the changes long, right? It takes time for these patterns to change and rearrange in the body. But over time, we should see a shift. And if we've given ourselves enough time and self-care and self-love, these changes can become permanent And we can start to move through the world differently. And one thing to really pay attention to is sometimes we don't notice the changes happen. And even in my own life, I will have pains and aches that bother me. But when they disappear, you don't think about them anymore. And you don't even realize they disappeared. So this is why it's important as a practitioner to help the person you're working with realize there has been changes, even though... Maybe you forgot that you were dealing with this pain at this level, or you forgot that this was happening, and now it's happening this way instead, which is different. So it's always nice to have those reference points, too, from getting treatments and, you know, having open dialogue with the person you're working with is to help them realize that there have been changes. Things are working differently than they did before. Well, I hope that brings some enlightenment to why you would get a shiatsu treatment, how... It's actually creating a healing movement in the body. I found it enlightening when I was was studying and thinking about this. This kind of popped in my head and I said, oh oh my God, this is how it happens. This is amazing. But maybe you just don't agree with it. That's fine. (laughs) We're all welcome to choose our own path in life. Well, as always, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was something that you can use in your life to move forward with. And as always, I don't know when I'm going to make my next podcast but until that time i hope you have a wonderful life i hope things go well for you and i hope to see you again thank you